yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. LeBron breaks the record. The Pellies get a win. And we're getting closer and closer to Super Bowl 57. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Joined inside the studios by Dawson Iserlow, a.k.a. D'Lo. We're going to be here for you the next three hours. Love to hear from you. Game hotline is open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We got plenty to get to. The drama involving LSU and the state government and the naming of the court inside the PMAC. We're going to discuss that. We, we've not really dove into that yet this week. I was waiting to find out more information, and I got our guy, Ron Higgins, the mad dog, that's going to come in and uh, make sure to kind of lay it all out for us on what's happening and what seems to be a silly, silly matter. We'll be talking LSU. We'll be talking Raging Cajuns with the longtime voice of the Cajuns, Jay Walker. We'll be talking the latest with the New Orleans Saints, including the news coming out, Derek Carr. Saints, Raiders, all have some mutual interest here. We'll dive into that. Is that a good fit? Is that the right move for the Saints? We'll discuss that with Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. So we got three guests lined up for you today. Of course, we'd love to take your phone calls. We have our foodie poll question of the day as well. Woo! It's all about Super Bowl food. What's your go-to? That's our poll question of the day. We'll unveil that in a little while. Well, let's start off with the association. Let's start off with the fact that the Pills won their third in a row. If this is what they're going to get and have Brandon Ingram be able to perform this way, this team is going to be just fine. It just is. The Hawks are an okay team. They're not a great team. They're an okay team, right? And you're going to still have to give them rest because of the toe, and that's going to linger on and on. Okay, the only way that's going to get better is with rest. So the fact that he plays every other game on it is going to keep it from properly healing the way it needs to. That's the reality of the situation. But if he is out there 
and he can get you 30 on 11 of 18 shooting like he did last night, the Pels are going to be just fine. I've said this the entire time. When B.I. is on, this is a hard team to beat. And as much as we love Zion, and he's an unstoppable force when he's out there, because of Zion's health issues and his lack of availability, the team has built the roster around B.I. That's what's happened. Whether that that was their intention or not, what has happened is because of Brandon Ingram being able to play more games than Zion, Brandon Ingram has turned into an all-star, just like Zion has, but he has spent more time on the court with guys like C.J. McCollum, with guys like Trey Murphy, with guys like Herb Jones, with guys like Valachunas. So there's more of a rapport. When you watch them play, there's a bit of an ease to it. Now, that's not to say that they can't be the same thing when Zion comes back. But the roster, the team, last year with no Zion, you added C.J. McCollum. Is C.J. McCollum in B.I.? And then all the other pieces complemented those guys, and they were able to get into the playing tournament, win the playing tournament, make it to the actual playoffs. They did all that without Zion. And you saw that again last night. 116 to 107 win over the Hawks. BI 30 points, eight rebound. I mean, 30 points, eight assists. Nearly perfect from the free throw line. And what'd they do? The other four starters scored in double figures. If you get double digit points out of Herb Jones, that is a huge win. That is not his game. Our guy is not volume score. You know what he likes to do? Rebound and play defense. So if you get double-digit points out of Herb, it's a good night. They got 11-9 and nine out of Jones. They had 16-14 and 14 out of Valachunas. They got 21 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists from McCullum. And Trey shot 6-13 from the field, 4-9 of nine from 3-point range, got him 16 points. Small rotation. Willie only played four guys coming off the bench. You know what happened? All four of those guys scored. Didn't need to play the other four guys. Temple, Willie, Jackson, and Devontae were all, did not play coaches' decisions. The biggest hurdle for this team is their health. The biggest hurdle for this team is figuring out how Zion is gets incorporated with these guys again. But there's a natural flow to things when B.I. is healthy with the rest of the guys on the floor. Now, B.I. and Zion's games are completely different. So they should complement each other when they come back. But it's going to take some adjustment. But once again, these guys know how to play together because in a lot of ways, this is your lineup from last year's team that won the playing tournament. And these other guys know their role. Marshall and Nance are best used coming off the bench. I'd like Alvarado to get more playing time. I know he's been a little hobbled. 
because he definitely gives you a spark off the bench. And Kyra Lewis Jr. So that's your tight rotation. And look, the Hawks are a 500 team in the East. They're not great, right? Trey Young's great. The Hawks aren't great. But we saw it against Sacramento without Brandon Ingram. Now we see it with Brandon Ingram against the Hawks. This team's depth shows up in a big way, Dawson. And we see it over and over again. And they've proven, they did it last year, and they're proving again right now that they can learn how to win games even when they're not at full strength. And that is a really good sign for a team that has aspirations of being a top four, top five seed in the Western Conference. Yeah, I would also say Jackson Hayes, Devontae Graham, DNPs could definitely be related to To a certain deadline that's about to take place. So don't want to risk those guys getting injured, especially considering how many minutes Jackson played last, you know, uh, in on Sunday. I would, uh, I would definitely wonder if that's related to, you know, and it doesn't mean they're definitely going to get traded, but it might be one of those. If they do get traded, we're not going to risk them getting hurt the last game that they're here. So we'll sit them out and see if the deal gets done. Correct. That's what it feels like. By the way, I had no idea that Frank the Tank was still in the league. Did you know that Kaminsky was still in the league? He's a bench player for the Hawks. Figured he was on a roster somewhere. Those guys don't go away necessarily. They should, but they don't. (laughs) I I love when we overhype a player coming out. I was like, oh, really? 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 And usually Michael Jordan drafts those players that are way too overhyped. And he usually takes them for Charlotte. And they typically don't ever pan out. I I agree with you. Jackson and Devontae for sure. And it does feel like that, you know, we kept waiting for Willie Green to do something. We felt like he was too, uh, I don't know, had too much of a connection, was putting in Devontae too much. We don't know if that was done on purpose because you're still waiting for Kyra to come back fully healthy. Or if the front office said, hey, bud, your veteran guy, nah, he's not going to be sticking around. We're going to try to move him. So once you play the young fella, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. I don't know what the philosophy is. It doesn't matter. What has become abundantly clear in the last two weeks, two plus weeks, is that they value Kyra Lewis Jr. And they feel like he's a part of what they can do, right? He's getting consistent minutes now night after night yeah I think it's fascinating you start to hear around the league uh I think it's more common than than we used to you know when you used to not hear as much about these things is when front offices and coaching staffs have different ideas about players and like who wins out in those situations because obviously the front office brings those guys in but then at that point it's up to the coaching staff and I think you know I heard um, I'm talking about this with Golden State, you know, with some of the younger guys that they've drafted, the front office not wanting to give up on them, but the coaching staff, you know, saying like, look, these guys, you know, can't help us win right now. So, yeah, it would be interesting to know. We, we never will know, um, or at least not anytime soon, whether that was Willie's decision or the front office getting down to him. But I think that's always a fascinating dynamic because you forget that, like, those are sometimes separate entities. The guy, and I think in the NBA, more so, more separated than the NFL. Whereas, like, uh, the front office brought these guys in, but then at that point they're handed over to the coaching staff, and sometimes those two don't disagree, you know. And we saw that a little bit with the Astros and, you know, sometimes Dusty Baker and... And James Click. Yeah, not, not, being not, the- not, not being on the same page. 
not being on the same page. Uh, and when I look at the other guys that didn't play, Temple, I think, is the veteran uh, guy, the Haslam, if you will, for this team. The, the veteran that maybe never gets to play but is still valued because he's the old head, right? He's yeah, the and, old guy. and might have some value at, you know, when injuries happen. He's, he's a guy that to have around. But he can also help the young players, right? Kind of show them how to be professionals. You always need that one guy on the bench, and Miami has allowed Haslam to be that guy for 20 years. Um, I, I think you keep him, you keep Willie because you, you need a backup center, really. But Jackson and Devontae feel like, um, I agree with you, it feels like, hey, we're not going to hurt these guys. We're going to try to move on from these guys. Once again, tomorrow is the trade deadline, but the Pelicans have won three in a row, back up two games above 500. And the my only concern for this team, with the exception of them figuring things out, Dawson with incorporating Zion back into the fold and figuring out how that's going to look. And they'll make some type of minor move at the trade deadline, which is needed. They're back up to eight now in the standings, having won three straight. My bigger concern is that when I look at this team, they're really good at the Smoothie King Center. They are not a good road team. They are they are awful on the road. To win a playoff series or to make a playoff run, you got to be able to figure out how to win tough games on the road. That's my only thing. They get a huge boost because there's a nice crowd, right? They're getting anywhere between, what, 15, 16, 17,000, even on a weeknight game inside the, the, the blender these days. So they're, they, they're good at home, but they are dreadful on the road. That's my only concern about them for a playoff run is that you got to figure out how to win tough games on the road. Yeah, I understand the concern, but one thing that's kind of been weird about the West this year is that almost everyone's been bad on the road. So, I mean, you've only got two teams. Sacramento and the Clippers are the only two teams in the entire Western Conference that have a winning record on the road. I'd um, like them to be closer to 500 on the yeah, road. Yeah, I would agree. It has to get better. But even Denver, right, right. who's far and away the one seed right now, still has a losing record on the road. So that's been something weird because the East, it's not necessarily the same. But. It's not the same. You're, you're right. But I'd rather them have something closer to, like, Denver than being 9-18. and 18. Like, it doesn't have to be even 500. Let's just get it closer to 500. And then I'd feel a little bit more confident about them in a playoff series, but you're right. When you look at the Western Conference on the road, I mean, Golden State's the worst. They're seven and twenty. They are dreadful away from the Bay. They're just a weird team this year. Period. Golden State, by the way, I just—they're all over the place. It, it's a—it's a weird thing with the Warriors this year. But you got a lot of teams: Pelicans, Timberwolves, Jazz. They're all nine and 18, 16, 17 on the road. Like you said, everyone is awful on the road except for Sacktown and the Clippers. Everybody else is under 500 on the road but I'd like that to be a little bit better once again they can do that in the second half of the season which really isn't a half of the season right the all-star break does not come at the halfway point of the NBA regular season it's actually further along but if they can get a little bit better on the back half that would make me feel a little bit more confident Pellies get the third straight win last night taking down the Hawks but it was LeBron's night King James surpasses Kareem. We'll get to that next right here on the game. 
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Lakers lose 133-130 to 130 to the Thunder and apparently a game that wanted to be like the All-Star game where you don't play any defense. But that wasn't the real story of the game. real story of the game is LeBron James passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the NBA's all-time scoring leader. I actually remember when Kareem past Wilt Chamberlain. That's how old I am. And it is wildly different. It was a thing that was mentioned in the paper. Like, it's just, we live in a different time now. Like, and part of that is because Kareem was never really the biggest self-promoter. It was a different time. It was what, 1984 when he set the record, when he passed Wilt. And Kareem was just not kind of built that way, right? And it's not a dig at LeBron. It's just different. Like LeBron grew up in a different era where your brand, your personality is based on promotion. Hit. He felt himself early on, especially in the second quarter in last night's game. And everyone was in-house. Denzel Washington, Kareem, Jay-Z, LeBron's son. Good luck. We're trying to follow in your dad's footsteps. That'll work out well. Um, if, if I was a kid of a famous athlete, I would be an actor or something. I would never go back. and never follow them. Record crowd. Uh, the type of media members in attendance for last night's Lakers game was reflective of an NBA Finals game. We did get that report. There was over like 200 credentials. They were just stashing media members in hallways and in closets. It didn't really matter. It's just like whoever could be there, you're going to be there. LeBron, fadeaway jumper. With 10.9 seconds left in the third quarter in the 133-130 to loss to Oklahoma Center, sent James to the top of the mountain that Abdul-Jabbar had stood on for more than 38 years at 38,387 career points. It's a lot of scoring, man. James entered the game needing 36 to overtake Kareem. He finished the night with 38. 13-20 shooting, pretty efficient. 4-6 from three-point range to go along with seven rebounds, three assists, and three steals. They gave him his roses, so to speak, Game came to a halt to celebrate a new record that so many thought would never be reached. James broke down. And he's going to keep playing. I don't think it's unrealistic, Dawson, to think that LeBron could get to the 40,000 plateau. 
right? I, the way he keeps care of himself, he doesn't seem like someone that is ready to ride off into the sunset, even though the Lakers are a dumpster fire since they won the championship during the pandemic. He seems like he still wants to go, right? Seems like he still wants to play. I could see him probably getting to 40. I, I just, he, he just takes care of himself. And the modern athlete is different, right? They're just built different. And LeBron has always been built different. Yeah, I mean, it, it was impressive to see. And, and, yeah, there's no doubt he's the greatest player of this generation. And I think, you know, he'll be in the conversation for, for all time now of whether or not he's the best. Uh, and that'll kind of go on. But I just think it's hilarious. LeBron gave you 13 to 20 shooting, 4 of 6 from 3, 38 points. Russell Westbrook gave you 10 of 19, 4 of 7 from 3, 27 points. And they lost to the Thunder. So that just, I mean, the Pelicans have that pick, and I just enjoy every game that the Lakers lose. So that was the roster. The roster is. Yeah, they're not built to win. They, well, it's, you know, (laughs) you think, oh, I got LeBron, you got AD, you got Russ, that should be enough. No, you need all the other complementary pieces. You need those other guys that are going to fill in the cracks, so to speak. Well, and that's been a shift in the NBA, right? Like when, when LeBron did it first with Miami. And built this big three, you kind of didn't have to worry about the rest of the roster. You just had your three guys. But they had other guys that helped out that knew their role. Yeah. Birdman did a lot of dirty work for them and ate up a lot of minutes. They weren't all stars, right? But they had three to four other guys that could do things. The Lakers don't have those guys. Like they they don't have any of them. None of them. They got three starters, and that's it. They don't. They don't have other guys, and that's because you're paying those three guys so much money. Like you don't. You got to have the rest of the roster. You got to have the rest of the roster. It just can't be. Even if you go back to say Boston and their big three, we focusing on that. Who else did they have on that team? They had Big Baby Davis. They had Rondo. Right. They had other guys. You need at least three other guys on those teams. Yeah, but I to make I, it work. I think this Lakers team in that era would have would have been very competitive. I think but it just kind of speaks to how much better the rest of the league is now where I think 10 years ago you said give me three superstars and we'll make the rest work. Nowadays, which I actually like a lot better now, it's going back to a little bit of like roster construction and team building. You need to build a roster that has depth. You can't just say like here, we have two of the best 10 players in the league, we're going to win. You have to build out the rest of the roster, and I and I like that the league has gotten back to that sort of competitive balance. It's also we live in a in a time where you're right. It's more than that, but there is a little bit more parity, right? Where you don't have to go join one of those super teams to be able to have a chance, right? If you're one of those mid level guys. Because Golden State did the same thing. Remember, Golden State took Iggy, who was an all-star, and made him a six-man. And then they had other guys that they could depend on, like Sean Livingston, a guy who had a ton of injuries in his career, but they looked to him and they're like, hey, he was able to reinvigorate his career with the Warriors in his role. The Lakers, because they were all in on winning the championship for the pandemic, they mortgaged their future. And all those other teams that we talked about, right, Boston, Miami, the Warriors, how many of those teams were filled up with second-round guys, late first-rounders or second-round picks to help fill the roster? The Lakers don't have any of those guys because they haven't been able to draft any of them because they traded away all those picks. 
that's the other part of that that the Lakers failed to understand is that those other teams at least had warm, competent bodies because they used their draft picks to help build up the rest of the roster with the free agents or with the guys they traded for. The Lakers were like, you can have everyone. <laughs> we just want Anthony Davis. Well, you got your championship in Orlando in front of cardboard cutouts. Yeah, you know, now it's not working. It's a great record. LeBron is a generational talent. You're good. He's going to go down as his generation's best player. I don't do the GOAT conversation because I think it's silly because it's tough to compare errors. The game of basketball is played differently now. And players are different. The game is different. So, is he in the conversation as one of the greatest of all time? Yes. I'll let Bill Simmons and others debate who's the GOAT. I just know that in my lifetime, I've seen Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I've seen Magic Johnson. I've seen Larry Bird. I've seen Michael Jordan. I've seen LeBron James. I've seen Kobe. I've seen Shaq. I'm pretty good. Like, I just, I've seen a lot of really great players. My rule of thumb, my advice to everyone is just appreciate the greatness. Just appreciate greatness. Because it doesn't last forever. Got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll put the association talk on the back burner. We'll unveil our foodie poll question of the day, and we'll talk a little New Orleans Saints. Been granted permission to talk with Derek Carr and the Raiders. Will a deal get done? Should a deal get done? Dawson and I are going to discuss that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything. But you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live here from the game studios. I'm Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3, joined inside the studios by D'Lo, Dawson Iserlo. And apparently, Hannah Five Names is out there listening to us. Appreciate her still being part of the fam. Texting us, letting us know that we're doing a tremendous job. We appreciate her. So... We've kept floating this idea out here about Derek Carr to the Saints. It's been talked about a lot, not only by us, but it's just been out there in kind of the ether of the National Football League. We know the Raiders want to move on from their franchise quarterback. He was benched for the last game. They instead played Jared Stidham. And... He sent a goodbye letter on social media to the Raiders and the Raiders fans. 
And he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be a coveted quarterback. Whether teams look at him as a bridge quarterback or as a guy that they can actually use for a few seasons, kick the tires on and say, hey, you know what? We don't need to draft a guy. This can be our starting quarterback for a couple years, and we can still compete to be a playoff team. So he's going to have suitors, whether it's those teams that are really bad, that need a bridge quarterback, that are going to draft a guy this year and could use a veteran, or someone, say, like the Saints. And Dawson likes this idea. We've talked about it. I like this idea. I've always thought Derek Carr would have been a good fit in New Orleans. I do worry that John Gruden broke him, as John Gruden's done with so many other things. That's a story for another day. But he would definitely be an upgrade over what you have if you're the Saints. Well, apparently the Saints are on the same wavelength with yours truly and Dawson because it comes out yesterday that they were actually granted permission to talk with Derek Carr. Reports came out that the Saints have received permission to visit with quarterback Derek Carr per a report. And what's interesting about this, Dawson, is that here's the thing about being granted permission because technically Derek Carr is still under contract with the Raiders. He also has a no-trade clause. So he has to sign off on where he goes, which makes things a little bit more difficult for the Las Vegas Raiders. That said... The Raiders and Saints have agreed on compensation element of a trade for Derek Carr. That is always the requirement for any team to get permission to speak with him. So that had to be figured out beforehand between Mickey Loomis and the Saints and the Raiders. Okay, if we do go down this road and if we do want Derek Carr, this is what we're going to have to be able to trade you. Like the two teams have to agree to that before there's even a conversation. So, if you're a Saints fan this morning, hold up. Your team already has something in place to go get Derek Carr. Now, you just have to convince Carr to say, hey, I want to come to New Orleans. That's not a bad spot to be put in this morning. Yeah, I mean, I think the deal, you have to get a deal done if that's the guy you want. And I don't think the the compensation is really much of a factor Again, I I talked about this on Foot's show. Like I draft picks I think are overvalued by a lot of people, uh, because they're just that. They're just draft picks. They're just the right to select someone who has never played in the league. And correct, it's all potential. There's no proof that it's gonna work out. And first round picks have bigger value and those players work out a large majority of the time compared to other rounds, right? But I don't have any problem drafting or using a third round pick or, or even probably a second round pick. Uh, to get a guy who's proven himself and played in the league as long as Derek Carr has. And, yeah, he's had years that were better than others, but I don't think there's been a whole lot of structure and functionality around him throughout his career. Um, he's had maybe two, three-year stretch of everything being calm. Like, that's it. Other than that, everything's kind of been changing around him. So, really, know, with Dar- really, when he was with Jack Del Rio, seemed to, things kind of stabilized for a little while. Yeah. and, and Right. But for the most part, like, he's had to deal with – I mean, the the franchise picked up and moved cities while he's there. Like, there's just been a large, you know, portion of his career that I think hasn't been fair to him. But I think you bring him here, 
you know, look, the Saints aren't like a ready-made championship or excuse me, championship built roster no. yet. But they give him an upgrade, I think, overall. Uh, they give him a better defense than he's probably used to playing with, and they give him some stability. So I think it, the move makes a lot of sense, and I, I don't think there's really many better options out there for the Saints. So I, I think 100% you make this deal. Whether you want to take a quarterback and try to work on that or not, I think you bring him in. Four-time pro bowler. He's thrown for a ton of yardage, 35,000 yards in his NFL career. He has completed nearly 65% of his passes. So he's an efficient passer. 217 to 99 touchdown interception ratio, right? He has a passer rating of 91.8. He's an upgrade over what you have. So, I mean, just from that perspective, even if Derek Carr is not even high second-tier quarterback in the league, He's an improvement over what you already have. If you had Derek Carr on this team with everything that happened, you probably win a couple more games, which is the difference between not making the playoffs and making the playoffs, right? And once again, you and I have brought this up on the show multiple times, and we've only been doing it the show together for a few weeks. Mickey Loomis... I wonder, you know, people are like, oh, is he going to do the rebuild? No. Mickey's not built to be. Mickey was forced to do a rebuild because of Katrina. Not because Mickey wanted to do a rebuild. Mickey, every offseason as the general manager of the Saints, he believes it's his job and he believes he can put together a roster and a team that's going to win a championship. That's his mindset. That's his mentality. That's why he always kicked the can down the road when it came to contracts to figure it out later because it was always, hey, we got a chance to win a championship this year. We're doing it, right? That's his mentality. Even when they went seven and nine three straight years, it wasn't because of a lack of trying or a lack of thinking, well, we're just going to be bad. No, they just didn't do a very good job constructing a roster and it didn't pan out. The mindset is going to be to try to win. So for everyone hoping that Mickey's going to go, all right, Let's do a rebuild. That ain't happening, man. That's just not how that guy's built, Dawson. It's just not how he's built. He's not built that way. And like I've been saying as well, even if that is the route they choose to go, which I think this year will probably force them to make a decision because if you're pretty bad again, then you know you pretty much have to tear it down because right. of some of the veterans. If, if, if it's three years in a row, you'll have to have to change it. And maybe you do something like they did when they went seven and nine, three years in a row. Remember, they brought in Jeff Ireland. And they kind of changed how they did things in the front office. And then, then came all those great draft classes with Jeff being one of their lead their lead scout and their lead you know developmental guys. So you're right. It may change them to do something, but continue. But like we so like we've already been kind of talking about at times, I don't think it makes a lot of sense when you look around the league at the rebuilds that have happened. You don't want to bring the quarterback in while you're still on the downswing in the rebuild. And this year for the Saints, if they're going to fully rebuild it, would get worse. So I don't want to bring in a first-round quarterback. I don't want to go up and get C.J. Stroud and have him deal with the team getting worse before it gets better. And all of a sudden, you know, now you worry about his confidence. You worry about his health with an offensive line that would have to be rebuilt. Like, those things I don't want to deal with. So I you bring in Derek Carr, and it, I, I don't know really if there's any – I know some people are against the Derek Carr idea. Who is better? Who's a better option? There aren't any better options. There out aren't there right better now. options. Look at the quarterbacks that are going to be out there. You're not getting Lamar Jackson. 
first of all, Baltimore is going to make it immensely difficult to even get him out of Baltimore. And the Atlanta Falcons would be the tops on the list of the team that would probably, them or the Jets that would be able to get Lamar. You're not getting Lamar. So your options are going to be Derek Carr, Jimmy G. Maybe you can go make a run at Geno Smith and try to pull him away from the Seahawks. Those are your options. Like, that, that, that's what you got. It's not a great free agent class for quarterbacks. There's not going to be a lot of quarterbacks out there. You're not getting Aaron Rodgers to come to New Orleans. You're not. He's going to go in the darkness on a retreat for four weeks now. Is he ever going to come out of his cave? I think it's only four days. Four days, sorry. Four days, four days. I embellish for effect. Thank you, though, for keeping me honest. But who are you going to go get? There's no one to go get. So, but my question to you is, do they give up that first-round pick that they got, or do they give up their second-round pick, number 40? No, I don't give up the first-round pick. But from what I've heard, it doesn't sound like Vegas – thinks that they need the first round pick like they it just, doesn't they just want to move on right it doesn't sound like that's what some from what i've the report that came out said it seems like a third round pick at the at the at the potentially i don't know if it meant at the least or at the most but it said it seems like a third round pick could get the job done and that's what i would be and again if it goes up to a second i'd still feel confident in that but no i wouldn't give out the first round pick you could probably get Derek for a second i think that'd be fair well, because again like vegas knows they're losing him regardless so i don't Correct. think they're gonna play hardball here they want something out of it if they can get something. So They're I don't like, think... give us a second-round pick in Jameis Winston. That's fine. But, I mean, with Jameis, does, is there any value there? I don't even know if that's really that, – No. Yeah, like I don't even know if that's a throw-in. Like that might be a – the Saints might try to throw it in, and they're like, no, okay, we're okay. Vegas is like – Which with his contract details, too, I don't even think – he's not, is he unrestricted? I have to check on that. But anyway. We'd, ha- we'd have to check on that. But, no – I think it would be a smart move by the Saints. You could get some value there. You'd have to restructure the deal a little bit because the contract is fairly big. But Mickey's a wizard with that, so he could figure that out. So We'll see if they can pull it. Uh, We'll see if they pull it off. I would expect a deal to be done this week, though, in the next couple days. Foodie poll question of the week. It's about the Super Bowl. We're going to unveil it coming up after this timeout right here. On the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Every Wednesday, we have our poll question of the day become the foodie poll question of the week. And this one is Super Bowl related. What is your favorite Super Bowl food? You know, the go-to that you prepare to watch the big game. I know wings are a wildly popular choice. And right now they're leading our poll question with 43% of the vote. 29% of you say pizza. 4% say chili. 24% of you say other. 
Lots of write-in votes for like nachos. Always a good choice. Gumbo. I get it. But I'm going to say something. For the Super Bowl, I actually prefer to do something like pizza or burgers and not wings. I just, I don't know. Like, I love wings so much. I like to focus on my wings. <laughs> so, I the Super Bowl serves as a distraction for the wing eating. That's why I'd rather just have a piece of pizza because I can just have the pizza and just shove it in my mouth, Dawson, while I'm watching the game. Pizza's definitely a lot easier, and like that's something I've definitely had way more of throughout Super Bowl parties over the years. Because like, who's how many people really want to sit there? I mean, I like making wings for an event like that see, as see, opposed to go. ordering them in. There, there it is. But then, if you're going to order them in, a the prices on wings are crazy. So if you're hosting people, you can't, you know. It gets to a point where you can't just buy wings for everybody. But, uh, you know, order a couple of pizzas, it's much more doable. It's much more convenient and affordable as well. There we go. Let's get to some comments, shall we? Ralph says it's a toss-up between cheesy blue runner red beans or dry ramen noodles. Hashtag five names. Seriously, usually cook a brisket and make sliders. Ooh. Also a fan of crawfish nachos. JPK, the OD, says wings with a side of soup of the day. As long as the soup of the day is a high-quality bourbon with ice croutons. Hashtag Acadiana Bourbon Society. Mr. Green says when it's cold, gumbo. When it's hot, still gumbo. We'll hash it out later. Uh, Someone's appreciative of the joke of the day. John Paul Cajun Daddy says because the Super Bowl is normally in the cold time of year, I select other. Gumbo is great during the Super Bowl. I have never once had gumbo during the Super Bowl, I can confidently say. I didn't even ever think of that as an option, but that makes sense. I've never had it for a Super Bowl party either. I, I eat gumbo all the time. I've never had it for the Super Bowl. Ton says, oh, there I almost always grill up some burgers and brats. There we go. Serve those bad boys with homemade home-cut fries. And oh, yeah. There we go. Now you're speaking my language. Hannah Five Names, who apparently does not like sleeping in now that she doesn't have to wake up early. Love me some buffalo wings and blue cheese, using those chunks to cool down my wings. And Derek says, nachos of any kind. We also have Coach Danny Broussard texting me. Brisket with rice and gravy. I will accept that answer, Coach. Bravo to you. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number one, done. Hour number two, coming up right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. New Orleans Pelicans win their third straight game last night as they take down the Hawks inside the Smoothie King Center. LeBron James passes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the NBA's all-time scoring leader. And the New Orleans Saints are granted permission to speak with Derek Carr about a possible trade for the Las Vegas Raiders Pro Bowl quarterback. 
Good morning. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, beautiful one, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3 in some parts. I'm joined by a man striving to be known as the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. D-Lo. How you doing, bud? I'm doing well. I've got to be better, though. <laughs> a few unforced turnovers this morning and, you know, got to take it, care of the ball. It, we'll work on it. It, it happens. It happens. Uh, as I've told everyone that has sat in your seat before you, and likely because I go through producers like I go through underwear, more to come, uh, you will drop the ball, you will fail, and it's okay because, well, guess what? I do so as too. So, I mean, you know, you're going to fail. You're gonna, things are going to slip through. You just dust yourself off and try to be better. And we just roll right along. And most of the time what happens they go unnoticed, right? That's the big thing. Unless, you know, you're a former producer who's, you know, critiquing you while they're, you know, allegedly working out. <laughs> we love you five names. The people miss you five names. They talked about you on the poll question of the day, the foodie poll question of the day about her canned red beans and sliced cheese. I think it's shredded, right? Not sliced. Because sliced would take another level of crazy if we were putting sliced cheese on red beans. I've almost gotten over the shredded one. Like I can I can I can think my way through it and be okay with it. If it was sliced though, I'd have to kind of rethink my way through that whole situation. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Oh man. We do have our foodie poll question of the day, which is what's your go to for the Super Bowl? You know, everyone has something different that they love to serve when they host their Super Bowl party. Is it pizza? Is it wings? Is it chili? Or is it other? Lots of write-in votes, obviously, for gumbo because it's southwest Louisiana. Here's my other thing about, like, chili or gumbo, though. I don't feel comfortable eating something like that that's liquid, hot liquid in a bowl because what if I get excited watching the game? Then I'm going to spill it all over myself. Once again, I'm thinking about what can be utilized to the best. Some of you go out there and you're like, I want to eat something tremendous. I want to eat great for the big game. Okay. But then that means the big game's not the priority. And for me, watching the game is always the priority. So everything around it has to be convenient and serve the purpose of me watching the game. I love my wife's gumbo. I just had it for the second straight night, by the way. She made a tremendous chicken and sausage gumbo with some turkey necks. Outstanding. But I would have to take time out and take myself away from the game to eat it so I wouldn't make a mess because I'm a big clumsy oof so that's why I go with pizza here because it's the thing that's the most convenient and if I jump up and down because a big plays happened I'm not going to spill hot chili or hot gumbo all over myself and if I drop my piece of pizza well who cares it's just a slice 
from 13 different boxes of pizza for the Super Bowl party. I can just go get myself another slice. And I keep it moving. That's my mentality. I know not everyone has that mentality, Dawson, but that's my mentality when it comes to a Super Bowl shindig. I'm not worried. I'm not really worried about what's being served up because my focus is the game, not the food. But that's just me. Yeah, I think that would matter more for me if the Saints were playing in it. I think uh, okay, that's fair. I can I can control the emotions more when it's a different team. But you know, another layer of this, I wanted to ask you. Uh, I'm a big fan of dips for the Super Bowl, especially like leading up to it. You know, when you're watching the uh, the pregame shows, you got to have a variety of dips on the table. Do you have a go to there? Is it like a French onion dip or like a? Ooh. You ever had the? Uh, we used to make like the Rotel with ground meat and Velveeta. Oh, there oh, it yeah. is. Now you're speaking my language. Now I knew I hired you for a reason. I am a huge guy when it comes to like a, a football get together, a Super Bowl party, or a national championship game, or something like that. I'm a big guy on pizza, but I'm a big guy on chips and dip. Like th- there are times where I've gone to a, a shindig like that, and have just ate the chips and dip. If you do it right, that's all you need, whether it's nachos or you got some queso or whatever it is. And a big shout out to the people that go big with it, like give you multiple chips and dip. Those people, they're my friends. Those are the houses I want to go to for the Super Bowl shindig. Like uh, how about people where you have like a football field laid out with like different, you know, the uprights are like props, but they're actually like holding the chips. Oh, now now we're speaking. Now you're going like themed. I like a theme too. I do like a theme. My wife has done that before. We've held a couple of parties like that where football themed parties where she's been able to get like the fake AstroTurf for the table for like a runner and everything like that for the buffet. So I'm all about that. But chips and dip is really kind of undefeated though, right? Because if you, if you do it right, you have all the different chips and dip, you can always be snacking. And that's what I do when I'm at a Super Bowl party is that I'm always snacking. Nothing. Look, I don't want my Super Bowl party to be like a Thanksgiving dinner, right? Or a family meal where it's like, okay, well, this is the time that we're eating and then it's done. No, no, no. I want to be able to continually eat throughout the entire game. So if your snack game is on the right level, Oh, man, you're going to be in the good graces of RP3. That's all I'm saying. And what you're also able to do there is if you have, you know, more than a couple of people over, now you can start to spread the traffic out. So not everybody's rolling through the kitchen at one time. There it is. And then, you know, the spots on the couch are kind of rotating around. People want the, you know, the the best seat in the house. Everybody gets a turn in that seat. You start to create some logistical advantages when you do that. See, we're breaking it down. Weren't expecting that, were you? Yeah, chips and dip, you got to go with chips and dip. I like the convenience because, once again, chips and dip, I can just go over, done. Get a little dip on my plate, I'm done, right? And everybody has a chip and dip that they like, even if they don't like, you know, if they're not a chips and salsa person. Eventually, if you have enough dip, you have three, four dips, you know, and that's when you get everybody, oh, somebody's bringing the bean dip, somebody's bringing the queso. Somebody's, you're going to like one of the dips that's out there on the table, hopefully. Somebody's going to do the spinach dip inside the bread bowl, right? Somebody's going to bring it up a little, show off their wife and her abilities to be able to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. You and I are on the same page. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love wings. It's not that I don't love wings. So let me be clear. I eat a lot of wings. I love wings. But I don't find wings to be as convenient while I'm watching the game. Now, 
if we have the wings before the game, right? Maybe you get your wing action on before the game. That way you can sit down. You don't have to worry about the game. You can just eat your wings and be done with it. And then during the game, your second course is like pizza or chips and dip. Then maybe that's the play. Eat the wings before the game. Could do that. Just saying. Just saying. Darren has chimed in on the poll question of the day. Barbecue. Ooh. Now that's messy, but once again, that's going to have to be done beforehand. Once again, I don't know if I want to get necessarily messy while watching the game, sitting in my recliner, watching the Super Bowl. Hannah, once again, has chimed in yet again because she loves this show. She misses us. Also, home-cut French fries with crawfish sauce or barbecue pork butt on top as well. Buffalo chicken dip and sweet Oreo balls. I see you five names. I see what you're doing. B-Rad on the Twitter says, Velveeta Rotel cheese dip. Oh, that's always a, that's always, always, always a winner. Taco wraps and cocktail wieners. However, this year, we decided to keep it simple and make a gumbo instead. Once again, love gumbo. I just don't know if I love it during the Super Bowl is all. Not for sure. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome our guy, Doc. Doc, good morning to you, bud. What's on your mind, my friend? Well, I was just thinking, I kind of, uh, I'm talking about Super Bowl, I do it along your lines, but mainly because if you consider it a, a true spread, they're going to have some vegetables out there with the multiple different dips. Uh, Hannah mentioned the wiener, so it's basically like a full-course meal. And then if you're really thinking ahead, you get one of those vegetable platters or uh, fruit platters, it is like a meal just snacking throughout the day so you never have to cook anything i was just curious what you thought on the yeah i like i like uh, i like the the setup i much i rather prefer the setup where you can come and go and snack throughout the pregame during the game halftime and then postgame because for me at a super bowl get together there's going to be lots of movement doc you're coming and going in and out of rooms if you're having one of those meals where it's like a gumbo or something like that, where it's like a sit-down thing, it feels more like an organized dinner. I like it to be a little bit more loose. I like it to be a little bit more casual, where it's a spread on the table where you can just come and go as you please, grab a couple slices of pizza, get some chips and dip, something like that. I prefer that. I prefer it to be a little bit more casual. When you make a gumbo for me, it feels a little bit more formal and a little bit more structure. I think that's what I was saying. I kind of like like the idea of where you have the spread and you have like the uh, like they're doing a TV commercial where you got the stadiums built out of chips and you got the vegetables, yes. the yes. carrots, and you got the dips in the middle, you got the, the nachos, the Velveeta, all in the thing, and then you just put it out on the table. And you know, basically, other than unbuttoning the pants and the belt, you just you lean forward motion about all you have to do. That's that's my idea of a Super Bowl party. Doc, I'm going to give you a, a, a recommendation, something that has worked for me over the years. You mentioned having to do under your belt. Bud, just go with the elastic sweatpants for Super Bowl <laughs> Sunday. You won't have to worry about that. That's a good idea. It's I'll a veteran move. <laughs> <laughs> Brother, enjoy your week. Enjoy your weekend, bud. You too, Ray. Yeah, you don't have to worry about the old belt action. If you just go with the sweatpants, just say it, go with your sweatpants, your workout pants, whatever it may be, and you'll be good to go. No worries there. None whatsoever. Keep those votes coming.
on our poll question of the day. I'm getting more messages. People love this poll question. JP says, pulled pork, brisket, or hamburger sliders are all of the above. You know what I do like? I do like me a little slider. Once again, you're giving me something that's miniature, that's a snack size, right? That's easy. I can go and get my paper plate and go put two or three sliders on there, and boom. And then I can walk away. And I think a lot easier to make, too, because if you've seen those recipes where you're kind of laying out... uh, you're almost making like a big sheet of the ground beef patty, and then you just throw in the whole pack of buns that are all attached yes. on top, and then they just pull apart. Yes. A lot easier than making individual burgers for everybody, too. So I, I agree. Good good point there. Shout out to Coach for texting me from Ville Platte. That's our guy. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook or Twitter, or you want to hit us up? Hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Oh, man, coming up, Raging Cajun's basketball discussion. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. As I said, we're going on the road this week. We started this streak. We were 0-2 with Southern Miss here, beat them 15. Uh, they've played extremely well since, and uh, with their only other loss being to Marshall uh, in Huntington. So we are, we were expecting a big crowd at Reed Green Coliseum on Thursday night. Uh, hopefully we'll have some fans there as well. I know they're, they're really promoting this basketball game and trying to get – set a record crowd there back to what used to be in the 80s when they won the NIT. Bob Marlin, Raging Cajuns men's basketball coach, talking about this Thursday's marquee matchup in the Sunbelt Conference. Louisiana Raging Cajuns, those Cajuns that have won 20 games, are going to be taking on the other team that sits atop the Sunbelt Conference standings, the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. In Hattiesburg, they expect it to be a great atmosphere. Bob essentially told us when he joined us yesterday that the crowd, the environment that the Cajuns had on Saturday when the Fabulous Cajun Chicken was there and they had, you know, the most people for a game since 2018, they expect that type of environment, but for Southern Miss on Thursday night. It's a marquee matchup. And there's a ton on the line here because a win against Southern Miss, that would give the Cajuns – Two wins in two attempts against the Golden Eagles. That also gives them the leg up in the Sunbelt Conference standings. They would then take sole possession of first place, which would put them in the driver's seat for the regular season championship. And what comes with that? And what comes with that is an automatic berth to the NIT. Even if they don't win the conference tournament, if you win the regular season title, you go to the NIT. So postseason tournament on the line, Bragging rights, tie-breaking scenario. There's a lot going on here in this ball game. 
I expect Southern Miss to be up for this game. I expect Southern Miss to present a huge challenge. Now, it doesn't mean that the Cajuns will be able to rest after Thursday if they win tomorrow night. James Madison still looms. They're going to be tough. You have some other tough matchups, even though I still think they have to play Dawson Wright, Arkansas State, South Alabama, I do believe, on the back end of the schedule. They'll be heavily favored in those games. They should win those games. But don't forget in 2018, the year where they set the record for most regular season victories, they lost to a six-win Little Rock team on senior night. Yeah, and Foot and I have actually been talking about this. That South Alabama team is towards the bottom of the standings, but over the last two weeks playing some of the best basketball in the conference, so they Correct. might be a team you don't want to play down the stretch. But, yeah, this game is its one of those games where it, it feels weird for the Cajuns to be in a must-win situation, and you don't want to call it that because it's not. But as far as what you're trying to accomplish in the regular season, this is a swing game here that's like really essential because if you lose it, you mentioned that tiebreaker goes away. Uh, you then go to like some third tier tiebreakers because, of course, you'd be tied up with Southern Miss. But you'd also you and a, I both tried to yeah. figure it out, and we can't. But you'd be a game <laughs> behind Southern Miss, you know, regardless, and have to try to dig yourself out of that hole and hope that they're going to lose games down the stretch. Which, again, the way these two teams are playing, you can't really count on a loss anywhere. So it's huge. It really is, and, and yeah, it's going to be tough to 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 play the way you played at home in their building with what should be a great environment. Should be a great environment. You mentioned Southern Miss. They're one of the hottest teams in the conference. They've won seven in a row. The only team that's won more games in a row in the conference right now, of course, are the Raging Cajuns. So something's going to have to give. And Bob Marlin talked about Southern Miss and what their identity is this season. The biggest difference is they've, they've got a guard back that played. Uh, I believe he's from Puerto Rico. And he's done a good job for him and helped spell Mo Arnold some at the point. So that, that's been good for them. Uh, Denjay Harris has played well at times. Uh, DeAndre Pinckney's played well at times. Uh, Hase and, of course, Austin Crowley's one of the best guards in our league. And he struggled a little bit from the floor the other night at Georgia State, but they were still able to win. So they're doing the same things they've been doing they've been consistent like us you've got to go with who you are especially at this time of year and for the Cajuns look they're riding high right Jordan Brown received another accolade right another player of the week honor for him he's well on his way of being named the player of the year for the conference he was preseason player of the year you're more than likely going to win player of the year they're feeling good about themselves they're feeling immensely confident And Marlon talked about how key that is for the team to continue being confident and, more importantly, playing with confidence. I believe he led the conference in the two-game weekend in field goal percentage. I mean, he just – he did that at Monroe in South Alabama. If you remember, he was like seven for eight. He played really good against South Alabama, I thought. But when he's throwing in three-pointers like he is and playing with confidence – he really helps our team because he's so good defensively. He helps us all the, all over the place. But uh, it's good to see him having fun. The local guys played well the other night in, in front of a, a, a big crowd. And we've just got to continue to keep J- Joe's confidence up. Uh, you know, back to Jamarcus' question, you know, the confidence tank, we've got, I've got to keep putting in that confidence tank. We've got to keep filling it up. There – are playing at a tremendous level right now. Confidence level is high. Bob Marlin knows that they can't rest, right? 
They know what's at stake. They much rather Dawson it not come down to having to share the conference regular season title. They'd much rather just be the one seed, win it outright, and not have to worry about that kind of thing. A win on Thursday would go a long way, and then they have to go on Troy at Troy on Saturday as well. So they know it's going to be difficult. They know they have to keep their confidence high. The women, they're going to have to get their confidence back after a tough loss on Saturday against Troy. Troy's the best team in the conference. They went toe-to-toe with them. Lost in overtime. It's a tough one. To, it's a tough pill to swallow, right? If you're Gary Broadhead's team. But they're still 14-10 and 10 overall. 8-4 and four in the conference. And the way they've been playing the last month gives you immense confidence that they can get the job done. Even though they lost 85-78 to 78 in overtime on Saturday. They got Old Dominion. Sorry, no. They don't have Old Dominion this week. My apologies. They lost to Troy 81 to 80 in overtime. They got James Madison on the road this week, Thursday night in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And then they have to play at South Alabama on Saturday. So they're back on the road. And Gary Broadhead's team says, you know what? Look, even though they had the setback, even though they lost in overtime and it was a a tough way to end the game, he said this group is going to continue working and working to get better and better. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe 20 years ago it would be easy, but with social media, I mean, I thought we were all promoting that. <laughs> promoting people to being on there and doing things wrong or right. Or, I mean, I, my kids, man, they, they live in that social media world, you know. I mean, they're going to see it. They're going to – I mean, it's going to come out. And, you know, it's just I, – I just, you know, I, I'm just proud of them after the locker room and all that. You know, they didn't really know – when we went in the locker room, they didn't really know exactly the rules like we did. And, uh, you know, just kind of stick together. They're going to continue to work. I mean, they're they're very, very resilient. And they know that they can play with anybody in the league. So, they, you know, and it's still about winning the tournament. So uh, it's just tough for me to see that, you know, those kids. I see it every day. You know, y'all don't get to see what I see every day and how hard they work and how important it is to win a league league game, man. I mean, that's what they play for. Uh, so, yes, it's a little disappointing, but we'll move on and, and hopefully we can uh, make a run in the tournament. Gary's acknowledging Gary Broadhead, longtime coach, women's coach of the Raging Cajuns, acknowledging that the Sunbelt Conference admitted that they blew the call in overtime, the controversial call that helped in the game, right? So it's not like what it used to be. The girls, the young women, rather, saw that too. They understand that the call was blown. I will say this. Troy's the best team in the conference, right? The Cajuns lost to them twice this season, both times in overtime, Dawson. If I'm Gary Broadhead and one of those losses came down to a call being blown and you took the best team in the conference and you lost to them twice and it happened in overtime, and by the way, without your best scorer, and Lene Whedon, I feel really confident about a third matchup in Pensacola between these two teams, especially if you have Lene back in the fold. Yeah, I would agree with that. The one thing that they might have working against them now is not only was that game big in that it basically eliminated them from uh, a realistic chance to win the conference, but it put you in a really muddy five-way tie for second place right now. Mm-hmm. So 
staying in that top four. Whereas on the men's side, there's kind of a cushion that's been built up for you know the men t- to stay in the top four, which of course we talked about how important that is to get the double bye. The women now are going to have to fight their way through that whole cluster of teams to make sure they're in the top four and not having to play an extra game in Pensacola. So that's something down the stretch. They still have some tough games on the schedule, and they're going to have to keep winning to, to try to maintain you know, being in that top four, getting that very crucial double bye. Helping with that would be Lene Whedon, their best scorer, and Gary gave us an update on her status because she's been banged up, she's been sick. Where do we stand with Lene Whedon coming back? Yeah, today we'll be able to tell. You know, I always kind of I'm real patient as far as for not trying to get too excited or anything. But she really looked good over the weekend. You know, I knew we knew she couldn't play, but and she's the type of player that when she's going to come back, she's going to be 100. percent It's funny how it is. You know, it's either 100 percent or or nothing. You know, and so that's kind of where we at. We'll see today in practice. I hadn't seen her this morning yet. Uh, I got a good report on her this morning, and so we're hoping that she's in practice today, and we can kind of see how. You know how she's banged up. She she might be limping till Wednesday, and then all of a sudden jump out the gym on on Thursday. So that's my hope. We'll find out. They're a different team without her. They got grit, but they could definitely use Lene Whedon back out there. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, the Mad Dog Ron Higgins will join us. Talk all things LSU. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. What a great Tiger. Half the week is in the books, which means it's time to talk Bayou Bengals with Tiger Details columnist, the mad dog himself, Ron Higgins. Here is Hold That Tiger on RP3 and Company. LSU women's basketball team, woo, undefeated. They're going to be taking on the undefeated South Carolina Gamecocks, defending national champs. That's going to be on Sunday. Of course, you're going to be able to listen to that game live right here on the game. Tip will be at 1 o'clock. That's going to be your appetizer, your warm-up, so to speak, for the Super Bowl as the only the uh, the two remaining undefeated teams in women's basketball are going to be squaring off there in South Carolina. The men's basketball team, meanwhile, on the struggle bus. Will they be able to win a game this week? Is that going to happen? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know if that's going to happen or not. Women undefeated, nationally ranked, look like a Final Four contender. Men on the struggle bus. And now we have all this brouhaha about Dale Brown Court and stuff going on with the state government and other things. To talk to us about it all is the columnist from Tiger Details, the Mad Dog himself, Ron Higgins. Mad Dog, good morning, brother. How are you? I'm just grand, Raymond. It's a beautiful, cloudy morning. (laughs) So perfect for the... LSU men's basketball team. Um, so, look, before we dive into that and dive into the marquee matchup for the women on Sunday, I, I asked you, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, and, and I want you to explain it. So, I keep seeing all this 
very animated, passionate people talking about Dale Brown Court. From what I can gather, there's an issue now with them trying to rename the court less than a year after already having named it after the LSU legendary men's basketball coach. Apparently, they wanted to also have Sue Guntner's name on there, uh, and that's causing an issue. People are saying that this is political. All right, so what can you give us? What are the facts, Ron? And then I'll ask you for your thoughts. But what are the facts of what's going on with Dale Brown Court? Well, it's absolutely political because always on the Board of Supervisors, you have political bozos, always. It's the biggest circus at LSU. It always has been for decades. Uh, You know, the people on the board are appointed by the governor, so it's political in that sense. Uh, basically one female member, Mary Warner, last when they, they passed this last year, talked about how, you know, uh, this wasn't, you know, it was bad timing. This shouldn't be done. Uh, uh, this is not fair to the, uh, you know, the equitable to females or whatever. What do you know? What did Dale Brown do for female? About all this crap. Uh, do you know who the first person to have a statue at LSU was? It was Sue Gutner. Yeah, she had in February 20, 20, uh, 2008. That was three years after her death. Yeah, it's inside it's the PMAC. When you walk around inside the PMAC, there's a big display, and they have a big statue over inside the actual PMAC. Now, I mean, if they want to move it outside, fine. But she's been honored, okay? She's been honored. So, I mean, but, but Ron, she never, so... She, she, wait, wait, wait. she was honored before Pete Maravich. Before Billy Cannon, I, I, before no, no, Bob Ron, Ron I, I, I got that. So I'm just, I'm just trying to get the facts. So they actually voted on this because yeah. there was a proposal to have it named after both of them, and the board of supervisors voted against that. Correct? I, I'm right there, and they voted just to go with Dale Brown Court. Right. And that decision was made, and then they named it, and they had the ceremony, and they honored Dale. And when you go to the PMAC now, it says Dale Brown Court on there. So why is this happening now? I guess is my question because why, why is it happening now? I mean, the, the the vote already occurred. The decision was already made. The the decal has already been put on the court. Why are we doing it now? Well, because you have a, a school president who thinks he has to right every wrong ever committed by the school. Uh, you have a governor who basically was nodding his head over this uh especially especially a one woman show here and she's but by god she's gonna get this done because you know uh she thinks sue gunner accomplished as much as dale brown did and she didn't i mean i, I look I, I i knew sue gunner i love sue gunner but she didn't accomplish as much as Dale Brown did. I'm sorry. And and, and this and this board, board member, Mary Warner from Lake Charles, uh, she said, well, Dale Brown never won a champ- national championship. He shouldn't have, shouldn't have a statue. I mean, or shouldn't have the court named after him. There's about four or five coaches in America who have courts named after him. In fact, Lou Henson has two courts named after him in different colleges. He never won a national championship. I mean, she... It's like you want to tell her to do her homework on this stuff, but 
this is just one of the things is hell bent like this is insulting to women all over America because all over Louisiana because Sue Gunner doesn't have her name on the court. You think of LSU. I don't. If you say LSU basketball, men's or women's. If you think of a coach, the first coach you think of is Dale Brown. You don't think of Sue Gunner. You just don't. And again, nothing against Sue Gunner, but this has been made. If Sue Gunner was alive today, she'd take a big, long drag of a cigarette and tell you how much bull crap this is. How's this get resolved, Ron? How's this going to go down? How's this going to get resolved? I can't tell you. I, I mean, I, I like, I'm going to get a ringside seat Friday for this, all this garbage. That's and when – and what, what what happens on Friday? They'll, they'll, they'll probably take another vote, I guess, or not take a vote or have an argument over this or whatever. They'll, or they'll discuss it forever or whatever. It's just incredibly – well, it's just – if you, you know the history of the Board of Supervisors LSU, this is pretty typical. Of, but it also takes away, Ron, for a great season. Like, you're causing a distraction – for the women's basketball team that is having a legendary season, they're going to be taking on the defending national champs in a battle of undefeated teams. The only two undefeated teams left in America in women's basketball on Sunday on Super Bowl Sunday. And all the conversation this week has been on this court nonsense. Like it, you're, you're, you're hurting your school and you're hurting your, you're hurting your thing. You're hurting the sport. Because you're taking the focus away from the game and putting it on this nonsense. Well, yeah, that's, that's true to an extent. But you know, again, you have somebody who's just hell bent who thinks this is, you know, this is, you know, what she's got to do. Uh, and again, you have a school president who, again, uh, came aboard about a year and a half ago and thinks that he has to right every wrong that was ever uh, done by the university. Uh, and th- this was this was this is not writing a wrong. This is writing a right. Uh, you know, I mean, and again, I'm sure. You know, Kim Mulkey has wisely stayed out of this. She loves. I mean, I mean look, Kim loves Sue Gunner, but Kim's not going to get into this. Kim's got a basketball team to coach. He's got a, a hell of a game coming up uh, against two coaches who really don't like each other. Uh, and uh, it's gonna be a hell of a game. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be like a football game, it really is. I mean, there'll, there'll, there'll be that much physical play going on. Uh, I don't know. I don't think LSU can LSU's gonna win that game. Uh, as good as they've played. Uh, but it's a great test for them, right, Ron? Because look, South Carolina's played the likes of UConn, Stanford, Maryland. UCLA, they beat them all, by the way, in non-conference play. They're, they're, they're further along. Where Kim wants the program to be is where Dawn Staley has South Carolina oh, right now. So Absolutely. this is a great test for Kim's team and also a great test to maybe get them better prepared to know what's gonna what it's going to take to make a run in the NCAA tournament and actually get to the Final Four in Arlington. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is a great test because LSU hasn't beaten a ranked team this year. I don't think play anybody ever played a ranked team yet. Uh, you know, Kim set the schedule up this way because when she set the schedule up, she didn't have some of these transfers in hand, and so she wanted a schedule non-conference that would develop confidence, which has happened. Uh, and, and this is probably the toughest team on their schedule. 
LSU and some of their recent games have been really tested. And they've shown some cracks. Uh, uh, they've shown they don't handle the press very well. Uh, and that's probably the basic thing they've really got to worry about, I think, from from the rest for the rest of the year is they have to handle backcourt pressure better than they have. But God, they've they've played some magnificent basketball. It's a great team. She's a great coach. And you gotta remember this is just year two. And she's got a couple more just dynamic recruits coming in. And that'll take them even higher next year. Look, she she's built this thing in a hurry. And like I knew she would. Uh well, she's she look. She's Kim Mulkey. She's phenomenal by uh, by every metric known to man or woman. All right, brother. I want to get you out of here with this and got to make it quick. Um, you're showing off the guns this morning. Feeling good about yourself. I'm proud of you. Uh, is that the type of look that we're going to have when we get a statue uh, made of you for on campus there at LSU? You're probably going to get a statue of me looking confused, looking for my car keys. <laughs> brother i appreciate your time as always your insight is always greatly appreciated and needed my friend Uh, enjoy your week and we didn't even have to talk about the men's team you're welcome by the way thank you uh yeah (laughs) they won't get a statue okay because you know what they already play like statues there it is there it is thank you thank you mad dog sure this is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. King cake season is here, and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar coated pastries. That is so sweet. Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Foodie poll question of the week is today here on Wednesday, and it's what's your favorite Super Bowl food? Right now, 53% of you are saying wings, 22% say other, 21% say pizza, 4% say chili. Plenty of comments about barbecue or about gumbo, burgers, and brats as well. Ton says, let's not forget the kettle corn or cheddar popcorn. Robert on Twitter says, wings all day, every day. Russ says, nachos. You know what? If I regret not putting nachos as an option. Nachos is a good option, Dawson. Ooh, do you like jalapenos with your nachos? Are you uh, a- maybe. Depends on, the, depends on the mood. But I think that nachos could definitely take chili off the list. Off the th- if we had to pick three as options, which Twitter poll kind of makes I you do. I do love chili, though. I love them all. Can we have a spread with everything? Is that possible? Pizza, wings, nachos, chips and dip, chili, gumbo, burgers, sliders, barbecue. I mean, it covers everything, right? And Doc mentioned some sort of veggie plate. Yeah, maybe. 
Nothing angers the big fella more, by the way. When I go to a Super Bowl shindig and it's, you know, yogurt dip and hard broccoli that hasn't been cooked. Not happy. That does not make the big, bald, and beautiful one happy. I need food. I need something that's going to stick to my ribs. And your rabbit food and your healthy yogurt, I don't want to see it at my Super Bowl party. Stop all that. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. All right, rant over. (laughs) Keep voting on our foodie poll question of the week. What's your favorite Super Bowl food? Wings, pizza, chili, or other? Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number two is done. Hour number three, we're going to kick it off with Jay Walker. Longtime voice of Louisiana Raging Cajuns. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three on this Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. Coming up half an hour from right now, Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast will be joining us. We'll talk about the latest news involving the Saints, including the Saints being granted permission to talk with Derek Carr about possibly trading for the Pro Bowl quarterback from the Raiders. As we've said before, to even be able to have a conversation with a player under contract that way, the NFL rule stipulates that a trade agreement already has to be put in place just to even have a conversation. So obviously the Raiders and Saints have hashed that out. Now it's all about the Saints convincing Derek Carr to come down to New Orleans. We'll dive into that with Andrew coming up half an hour from right now. Also, don't forget, keep voting on our poll question of the day, which is our foodie poll question of the week on Wednesday. It's all about what's your go-to Super Bowl food. Is it wings? Is it pizza? Or is it other Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout the final hour of today's show. But right now, it's time for us to talk Raging Cajuns. Man, it's a good time. It's just a good time to be with the Vermilion and White. Men's basketball team got to the 20-win plateau with an exciting wire-to-wire victory over Marshall on Saturday. Fabulous Cajun chicken was in the house. The women, oh, they got hosed by the officials, and the Sun Belt even admitted to doing so afterwards. But... They went toe-to-toe with the best team in the conference and did so without their best score. Just saying, don't count out Gary Broadhead's team when it comes to the tournament. And then we have Baseball Media Day this Friday. Their season will begin a week later. Softball begins this weekend with the Louisiana Classics. And to break it all down for us is the longtime voice of Raging Cajun Athletics, Jay Walker. He joins us now. Jay, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm I'm doing well. You covered everything, and I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> but, look, I'm trying to make it easy for you. You've put in all the work, man. You're the legend. I'm just the guy on uh, the air. Uh, uh. <laughs> hey, all right, let's go back to Saturday. I love the environment. It was absolutely electric. Most fans for a game since 2018. 
Jordan Brown balled out. Greg Williams balled out. They led wire to wire against a team that is a legitimate threat to win the league. Just give me your thoughts now that you've had a couple days removed from what you saw from Bob Marlin's team on Saturday night in the Cajun Dome. You know, one of the things that this team has been able to do during this winning streak is take the best players out of the game. You know, they did it against Southern Miss at the beginning of the streak with uh, with Crowley and Hase, and then they did it the other night by taking Taylor out of the game and fouling out hand-logged And, um, you know, when you do that, you got a really good chance to win. They've done that on a pretty regular basis throughout this winning streak. And um, it's not an easy thing to do, but they've done it pretty consistently. And and I will maintain that during this 10-game uh, winning streak, it, started, it has started on the defensive end. And, you know, Jordan Brown had more rebounds in the first half than the entire Marshall team on his way to a 25-20 and 20 game. And, you know, in retrospect – I just think that the Cajuns are a bad matchup for Marshall. Uh, you know, the, the the Marshall guards are very, very good, but they're just not physical inside with exception of uh, Anna Chili Killen. Um, they're just not a very physical team inside, and the Cajuns really were able to take advantage of that. They took advantage of it, and you're right. Defense has been key, which, of course, Bob preaches and has long preached getting guys to be committing uh, to the defensive side of things and just not worry about their open shots. But they also have guys on this team that can make buckets and make them in a hurry. You know, Jordan Brown, first 2020 game since Sean Long did it back in, what, 2016, only the sixth one in program history. But Greg Williams was magnificent, and they got shots from everywhere. And it seems like we talk about this all the time, Jay, but this roster, it has – what it just has guy after guy after guy that can come in and contribute they don't miss a step if someone gets in foul trouble or if someone needs a break during a game they don't miss a beat and that is something that is going to serve them so well for the conference tournament uh yeah i agree with that you know the the thing about greg williams is you know he's shooting about 45 percent from three-point range but he's got like five 20-point games in a row but it hasn't been because he's been jumping up and, and shooting a 20-footer. He's been taking the ball to the rack. He has shown off his quickness. He has done some work on the offensive boards. He's done some work at the free throw line. He's not just an outside shooter. And, but it's, that's what we think about first when we think about Greg. But, man, he, can, he has shown that he can take it to the rack and embarrass you with his quickness. And he did that a couple times to Marshall the other night. They get to the 20-win plateau. They're the hottest team in the Sunbelt Conference, and now they get to go on the road to what we anticipate being an electric atmosphere. What we saw Saturday inside the Cajun Dome, we expect to see in Hattiesburg on Thursday night because Southern Miss is tied atop the standings with the Raging Cajuns. This is going to be a marquee matchup. This could very well decide who wins the regular season championship. What are the biggest challenges the Golden Eagles present the Cajuns, Jay? Well, I think the same thing that they did last time. You know, they, they've got a couple of really, really good scorers in, in Hase and Crowley. And I thought last time, you know, Kentrell did a really good job on Crowley. 
But it was Greg Williams guarding Hase, and he was given up probably about six or seven inches. Um, but it was that one that I that I think was the the catalyst uh, for the game. Now the other thing I think that Southern Miss uh, has going for him is is their backup point guard Alvarez, who who's, who can go out and give him twenty minutes, was injured um, in the game against the Cajuns. He is back now. I think he adds something to that team because he can give Mo Arnold a little bit of rest. Um, and and the other thing is, you know, they they've got a guy Harris, Demajay Harris, who plays the power forward, who did absolutely nothing in the game against the Cajuns the first time around. I think he had like four points and two rebounds. He's a better player than that. So I think that they're going to get Southern Miss's best shot, and I think it's a better shot than than last time. And and look, you know, we're very proud of the fact that the Cajuns have taken care of their business at the Cajun Dome. Well, Southern Miss is undefeated at home as well. This is going to take probably their best effort of the season if they're going to get out of there with a win. If they get out of there with the win, obviously they kind of control their destiny, so to speak, because then they would have the tiebreaker taking the head, both head-to-head matchups against Southern Miss, and they'd sit atop the standings by themselves. But we know looking at the schedule, there's no easy wins. I mean, South Alabama may be towards the bottom of the standings, but they've been playing pretty good basketball of late the last couple of weeks the Jaguars have. So there's no time for rest for Bob Marlin's team, is there, Jay? No, there isn't. You've got, you know, first of all, um, you've got Troy on Saturday, a team that the Cajuns handled pretty easily uh, in Lafayette. But then after that, you come home to play a ULM team that on Thursdays has played winning basketball. That yeah. game's on a Thursday. Right. It's um, on Thursdays, they're, and they're incredible. On Saturdays, not so much. But Thursdays, they look really good. Well, that's because they only play six guys and they get tired. Um, James Madison is right after that. And James Madison... Uh, was picked right up there near the top of the league at the beginning of the season. And then you mentioned South Alabama, who right now is playing as well as anybody in the league. They've won four in a row. They are on a roll. They're starting to make it happen with Richie Riley. Um, So, no, I mean, you know, there's a lot of work to do. Even if they win this game on Thursday, there's a lot of work to do. The good news is, and you just mentioned it, uh, they'll have the tiebreaker over Southern Miss, which means if they win the game, they will have a de facto two-game lead um, going into the, the final five games of the season. Um, whoever wins this game, it's going to be very difficult for anybody else to catch them. And I will say this, Southern Miss has a much more favorable schedule down the stretch than the Cajuns do. We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Jay, look, Gary Broadhead's team, uh, uh, they fall short in overtime against Troy, the best team in the conference. But for me, I look at this in an optimistic fashion. They had to do so without Lene Whedon yet again, right? That they're, they're, That's their team's best scorer, and she's been banged up and hasn't been able to go. And they still took the best team in the conference to overtime, and they've lost both of those games in overtime. As it stands right now, how much confidence do you have in Gary Broadhead's team to be able to make some noise in the conference tournament in Pensacola? A lot. I, you know, they've got five losses in league, um, and four of them are either one-point losses or overtime losses. I mean, they're, they're really close to being like, you know, 11-1 and one right now. Um, so 
so I, I think I think they're very capable. Now I think it's important that they go ahead and get the double bye. Right now there's a five way tie for second place. Three of those teams are going to get a double bye. Two of them are not. And I think if the Cajuns are going to have a shot to win that tournament, I think they have to start with the quarterfinal round. Um, now, they've got a tough game at James Madison on Thursday. After that, the schedule is favorable. Uh, they'll go to South Alabama, who's in last place in the league. Then uh, next week, they'll play ULM and Arkansas State, both near the bottom of the standings. Uh, and then the final week, they'll have um, Texas State, who they handled uh, the first time around. So I think they're in, in pretty good shape. In fact, if they should win on Thursday, I think they're a lock to finish in the top four. But if they're going to have a chance to win the tournament, I think the double buy is very important. Jay, I'll get you out of here with this. Softball begins this week. And we had Coach Glasgow on earlier in the week, and he was very forthcoming, which he typically is, about the scheduling. And, you know, he said, look, we schedule difficult, and the reason is because we want to get prepared and we want to be able to have the opportunity to actually host a regional, which would be huge for the program. And when you look at that schedule, that tournament down in Florida where they're playing you know, Oklahoma State and Michigan and Indiana and you know everyone else, and then they're playing Florida and they're playing LSU and they're playing Texas, I mean, it is – a murderer's row of a non-conference schedule. It is. Should and Cajun fans, because I know the softball fans are fanatical, should they just go ahead and embrace themselves that, look, the Cajuns may lose more games than they're accustomed to in non-conference play, but it would it's probably going to pay off in a big way down the road in a couple of months. Well, you know, I realize a lot of fans are results-oriented, and, and I get that. But I think anybody with a functioning brain should understand that if they hold their own in the games that you mentioned, all right, the, you know, the, the Floridas, the Texas, the Ole Miss, uh, this Clearwater tournament, if they hold their own, say they're able to play 500 ball or close to it, and then go out and dominate the Sun Belt, they're going to have a chance to host a regional. The other thing that Jerry Glasgow has done this year is he is not sitting back in the friendly confines of, of Lamson Park. The, the Cajuns only have 21 home games, and everything else is away from Lamson. Now, they do get the conference tournament at Lamson. Now, I'm just telling you, for RPI purposes, when you go on the road and win, I'm talking about at somebody else's house, you get extra credit for winning on the road with the RPI you don't get near as much credit for winning at home. So not only are, are they playing great competition, but they're either at a neutral site or on the road. So if they win their share of those games, it's really going to help them as far as the RPI is concerned. And the RPI is going to have a lot to say with who, who hosts the regional. And it's just going to make them better prepared to pay, be playing postseason uh, softball. And that's what it's all about, right? I mean, sure. at the end of the day, it's all about hosting a regional, winning it, moving on to the Supers, and getting to Oklahoma City. So that's what it's all about. And when you play tough competition, it's a cliche, Jay. Iron sharpens iron. And that is definitely the truth here for the softball program. Brother, appreciate your time. Uh, be safe. 
with the games this week, having to go on the road there to Hattiesburg and to Troy. Enjoy your calls, brother. Have a good time, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Go Cajuns. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yep. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The New Orleans Pelicans get their third straight win as they top the Atlanta Hawks last night inside the Smoothie King Center. B.I. was really, really, really good. When he's really good, the Pelicans are really, really, really good. We'll see what type of move the Pels, who are now two games above 500, and seemingly have started to kind of trend back upwards after that 10-game losing skid, what kind of move they're going to make. Dawson and I talked about it earlier on the show. You know, there's a couple guys that have been getting DNP'd. Jackson Hayes and Devontae Graham in particular sure does feel like to us that those are going to be the guys that are going to be on the move. Pelicans don't want them to get injured as they want to move on from them and possibly bring in someone else. So we'll see what type of trade deadline move David Griffin is able to make for the Pels. But it does feel like Devontae Graham and Jackson Hayes are both going to be gone. Maybe a package deal send them and maybe a pick to somewhere else and get another player in return. Bogdanovich is interesting. We had Ali Cassell mention that to us yesterday. That would be a good player for the Pels to pick up, right? And he'd fit right in coming off the bench. So we'll see what type of moves the Pels make after now they've won three straight and are back two games above 500. And look, the problem for the Pels, though, is that everyone else in the Western Conference, with the exception of three teams, are going to be buyers at the treadmill line because there's such a log jam in the standings. There's not that much of a difference between the number three team and the number 10 team. So everyone's going to be looking to get better. Everyone's going to be looking to add another asset. So they're going to be fighting with other teams. So we'll see what happens there. Last night also, of course, while the Pels were getting their third straight win, LeBron King James surpasses Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. Phenomenal. 20 years I've been watching this guy play basketball. And I'm not one to get into GOAT conversations. Because I think they're, just going to be perfectly honest, they're stupid. It, you can't compare errors. You just can't. I don't care what sport it is. Baseball, football, basketball, soccer, cricket, it, it doesn't matter. Table tennis, it, it doesn't matter. You can't compare errors. Like you just can't. But what you can do, instead of deciding to have the most low-hanging fruit in sports talk radio and have the goat argument, is just sit there and appreciate greatness. 
right? You can do that. You can just appreciate greatness. LeBron is one of the greatest players we've ever seen. I am of the age where I saw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar play basketball. Grew up watching Kareem. Grew up watching Magic and Larry and Michael and the Bad Boy Pistons. Akeem Olajuwon, who we don't talk enough about being a great player. By the way, Akeem, everyone that he played against, including Shaq, he schooled. He had parts of his game that bigger, more athletic guys had no idea how to handle. And then spent his post-retirement career trying to teach those tips to those younger guys that came in after him. I saw Patrick Ewing play. I saw Kobe play and Shaq play. And see LeBron play. It's greatness. Just appreciate the greatness and don't get sucked into tired arguments about who's the greatest of all time. It's a dumb argument. It's a silly argument. It's a waste of time. And we have allowed it to dominate sports conversation. Goat arguments and championship arguments are the two dumbest things we do in sports. I'm old enough to remember where that was never a thing. And foot would remember that as well. There was a time where you could be considered one of the greatest of all time, and it had nothing to do with how many championships you won. The logo for the NBA is on based on Jerry West, who lost more than half a dozen NBA finals. He won one as a player. He was the logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you're the logo. You understand what I'm saying? Like we get so focused on championships, 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 and goat status that we don't take time to appreciate greatness when it's in front of us. I know I'm going to sound like the old man here, Dawson. I understand that. But we, we really don't. We get so focused in on goat status and championships that we don't appreciate the greatness that we see day in and day out, year after year in the world of sports. Well, it's just simple. And, and on RP3 and Company, we prefer to have more intellectual conversations that revolve around pizza and wings and better <laughs> Super Bowl snacks. <laughs> we go, we do a deep dive. That's what we'd rather spend our time doing is that. And also, yeah, talking about Derek Carr and the Saints, which we're going to do coming up next when Andrew Jude of the Saints Happy Hour podcast joins us. But let's get to some additional comments about that poll question of the day, which is always our foodie poll question of the week here on Wednesdays. What's your favorite Super Bowl food? Is it wings? Is it pizza? Is it chili? Or is it other? On Facebook, Randy says beer. <laughs> That's all that really matters. Any food works for the big game, but without beer, you may as well just watch a rom-com with the wife. That's a, I like that. That's a good comment. Jude says wings. Edward says all the above in chips and dip. We talked about this. Chips and dip, man, that's that's a great option. Because I can constantly be snacking on the chips and dip pregame, during the game, halftime, and postgame. As long as you keep putting more chips and dip out there, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. Chips and dip is good. Right now, leading the vote. 53% of you say wings. I actually prefer pizza for my Super Bowl. Look, I love wings. But they can get messy. I love gumbo. I love chili. 
I love the the hot liquids. I do, okay? But when I'm watching a game and I want to be animated, that's going to be a lot of getting up and down. That's going to be a lot of cheering. That's going to, you know, be expressive, high five and my guys or my family or whatever it may be. I don't want something that's going to be near me or on me that's going to spill on me and make a mess and burn me. I'm lazy when I'm watching the big game. So I want lazy food. And you know what's lazy? Pizza. I can have pizza. If I drop my slice of pizza on the floor, guess what? I just go grab another. It's very simple. Chips and dip, convenient, easy. Just saying. Keep those votes coming on the foodie poll question of the week. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter like Texan and Acadiana did. Barbecue, there's no other answer. I do love barbecue, though. Ooh, do love barbecue. Keep those votes coming. Leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter. We got to take a timeout. When we return here, Andrew Jude from the Saints Happy Hour podcast is going to join us talking about the reports that the Saints were granted permission to talk to Derek Carr once again to be able to even have permission to talk to someone that's on an active roster, you have to agree to terms of a trade with the other team. That's already been done. Is this deal going to get done? And should it get done? We'll talk to Andrew about that next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. They give to Camara. Breaks through. Spins at the two. Into the end zone. Touchdown. Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Oh, Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast, also contributing columnist to 1037thegame.com, joins us now. Andrew, good morning to you, brother. How are you, bud? Everything's good. Good to hear from you, Raymond, and thanks for having me on the show as always. Always so nice and polite, this man is. Just, you know, you just can't teach those manners anymore, bud. Man, whew, thank you. I'm, I'm going to make sure that I insult you on the open next week. <laughs> uh, that's what Ralph would do. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, I take it back. There it is. <laughs> All right, so let, let's get right to it because I find this fascinating. We've actually talked about Derek Carr, and I, I feel like I've been talking about Derek Carr to the Saints for a couple years. Um, I always felt like he'd be a guy that would probably thrive in Sean Payton's offense. Obviously, Sean is gone and gone to Denver, but it looks like the Saints are interested in the Pro Bowl quarterback from the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders want to move on from him. They've granted the Saints permission, Andrew, to talk to him. And we know this because of the rules. Before you can even discuss trading for a player like Derek Carr, you have to agree in principle to a trade with the Raiders, which obviously has already been done because they've been granted permission to talk to Derek Carr. What do you make of this development in the last 24 hours? And do you think the Saints get a deal done in trade for the four-time Pro Bowl quarterback of the Raiders? Yeah, so it's not that dissimilar, actually, from the situation with Sean Payton, where you know, you'd have to agree on parameters with the team that owns his rights first. Uh, and if you're loosely in agreement on parameters, at that point, you can interview the person. And so in this case, 
Uh, he's actually in New Orleans. He'll be in New Orleans today for a visit at the Saints facility. Uh, and the Saints will get a chance to kind of visit with him and explore the fit. And uh, obviously it's two sides of the coin here because Derek Carr has a no trade clause. So uh, he has to buy in just as much as the Raiders uh, for this to work out. Uh, my understanding is that uh, the Raiders are hoping for a third round pick as compensation. And that's loosely the terms that have been agreed to. Uh, maybe a little bit less than that, but I, that, that's my expectation is a third round pick. And I do expect this to happen. Uh, my uh, assumption all along here is that Derek Carr will be your next quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. Uh, obviously, he was drafted by Dennis Allen, so there's a lot of history there between the coach and the player. Uh, both of them have kept in touch over the years and have, have kept a strong relationship after Dennis Allen left the Raiders. And so uh, there's a lot of reasons why it's a good fit. Uh, you mentioned just kind of his fit in the offense and look he's a big time arm quarterback he's a guy that can really stretch the field with his ability to throw the deep ball and uh, when you talk about the two receivers on the Saints really being field stretchers and Chris Olave and Rashid Shaheed that are kind of the future of the team uh, I do think his skill set complements those two players pretty well so uh, I expect this to get done we'll see how the next couple of days go um, but I know the Saints, they've identified Carr as their guy, and I think they're going to make a big push here to try to get this done. Who are they going to be battling with? Because obviously there's plenty of quarterback needy teams out there. Whether you're looking for a bridge quarterback and you draft a guy at the same time, or if you're just looking to kind of rebuild on the fly and, and get back into playoff contention like the Saints are doing, they're going to have competition for Derek Carr's services. Who presents the biggest threat? for also trading for the Raiders quarterback? Well, uh, my understanding is that right now, no one's really uh, in the mix to trade for him. And I think everyone was kind of assuming that he would be cut uh, because he gets a guaranteed roster bonus uh, on February the 15th. And obviously the Raiders aren't prepared to pay for that. So uh, I think all along teams were just waiting for his release before jumping in the mix and just assuming that they would uh, buy for his services as kind of a free agent that was, free to negotiate with everyone the saints are kind of jumping to the front of the line it's an interesting strategy here where uh, i don't know that the saints really want to get in a bidding war for Derek carr and so you know their their theory is hey if we give up a third round pick here we can just absorb the contract that he has now and ensure that he comes to us and then we don't have to get into this bidding war with other teams and so uh as i said the saints have kind of jumped to the front of the line here and it's an, an interesting strategy We'll see if this kind of changes things. It would be interesting. I, I do think there are a lot of teams that are interested in Derek Carr. I don't think they were expecting this development, and so we'll see if they maybe try to fast-track offering compensation to the Raiders uh, to try to get in the mix here, knowing that the Saints are about to maybe sign him. So uh, we'll, we'll see how this all plays out, uh, but I think right now the Saints are in full position to get this done if they can uh, convince Derek Carr that they're the right destination for him. Uh, I think if this doesn't work out and he ends up being cut, I mean, you have to look at all four teams in the NFC South. I, I believe the Bucks, uh, Falcons, and Panthers would all be in the mix for a quarterback. Uh, maybe the Jets as well, maybe Washington. Uh, and then you just have to look at a number of teams where their quarterback situation is in flux. The Titans, uh, Green Bay potentially, uh, Seattle if they don't re-sign Geno Smith, maybe the Ravens if they let Lamar Jackson go, the Giants if Daniel Jones doesn't come back. So th there's a lot of possible destinations. But if I'm Derek Carr, I mean, look, Freeman, I, I think you'd agree with me here. If I'm Derek Carr, I want to go to the NFC. 
I don't want to stay in the AFC where you've got Mahomes and Josh Allen and Herbert and Joe Burrow and all these quarterbacks. You go to the you go to the you stay in the AFC. You're maybe not even a top ten quarterback. You go to the NFC. You're a top five quarterback. And, and I think whoever in the NFC South were to land Derek Carr, probably vaults as the favorite to win the division overnight uh, because I think the division is that bad. So um, I look, agree. I, I, if I'm Carr, I go to the NFC. Andrew, I agree. Uh, going to the NFC makes the most sense. And whoever gets Carr, I agree, probably turns that team into the division winner for the NFC South because the the division is garbage. And I think Carr is is that much of an upgrade over what else is in the division currently right now. That said, I've always believed that Derek Carr would be a good fit in New Orleans. I think he still has some miles left on those tires, so to speak. My big concern is, did John Gruden break him? How do you feel about that? Do you think Derek Carr can still be a top 20 quarterback in the NFL? I do. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think New Orleans is a good situation for them as long as they can stay elite defensively. Uh, because if they can, then really the, the, the job description is, hey, score 20 points and we have a good chance to win 9-10 games. That, that's really all we need out of you is to score 20 points. And uh, unfortunately, the Saints offense last year – many times was unable to, to, to score that amount. And so uh, that, that's why we saw an inconsistent season. But I, I think as long as Dennis Allen can maintain the quality football on the other side of the football field, I think they can get consistent enough play out of Derek Carr to, to win the NFC South and win some games. I, I still think he has it. I, I think even last year we saw moments uh, where he was, he was playing at a good level uh, towards the end of the season, and I don't know if this was injury-related, I, I think he really kind of fell off those last five games that he played uh, were at a poor level, and uh, that's he started throwing a number of interceptions. But really the first eight, eight weeks or so of the season, I thought he was actually playing at a pretty high level. And so it'll be interesting to see how he comes into the offseason and, and in a training camp if he's healthy. Uh, I absolutely think he's still capable at only 31 years old. Uh, as you mentioned, he's been to the Pro Bowl multiple times. He's had uh, a pretty good career, and uh, I think he'd be coming into the NFC and the NFC South in particular in a good situation where, uh, as you said, he'd be the, the best quarterback right away. So I, I think it's actually a great move for the Saints if they can finalize this deal and make it happen, and I would be in favor. We're talking with Andrew Judes of the Saints Half Hour Podcast. He joins us here for the Big Easy Blitz. But if it was five years ago and I would have told you, hey, man, in the future, failed Raiders coach is going to reunite with one of his position coaches and make him his defensive coordinator, and then he's going to reunite with the quarterback that he drafted during his failed Raiders run, and he's going to find success with the Saints. You would tell me what? I would tell you that the uh, definition of insanity is to do the same thing and expect different <laughs> results um so <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying you know at the same time Carr, look the failed raiders experiment with Carr in particular he, he played four games with dennis allen before dennis allen was fired and so uh you know look i, I think that was his rookie season and what Carr has accomplished on the other side of that and, and his quality of play at this point in his career is very different from when he was fired with the raiders so uh, I don't know that those are apples to apples comparisons. I mean, Carr has is, is now been a multiple time pro bowler and a proven quarterback that can win games in the NFL. So, but yeah, no, it, it's a fair question. And I think sink or swim 
Dennis Allen is, is going with the guys he's comfortable with. And uh, I think that's important to do uh, because ultimately I do think his job is on the line and I think he gets on the hot seat pretty quickly this season if he fails to have success. Uh, and so he has to go with his guys and uh, for better or for worse. And uh, there's nowhere to hide because I, I think on some level last year, it was a lot of Sean Payton's guys. They were trying to run it back. And yes, Dennis Allen was the coach, but there wasn't a lot of creativity in terms of changes to the staff or changes to the roster. It was a lot of just running Sean Payton's plan without Sean Payton there. Uh, this offseason, we were already seeing a number of e exits from the coaching staff. And so it is going to require some creativity. It is going to require Dennis Allen to think outside the box and find new people that are not Sean Payton guys. And uh, look, I, I, I think that's how he would want it. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's going to have to make good decisions because if he doesn't, um, I, I think this could end pretty quickly. Andrew, appreciate your time as always. Brother, when's the latest episode of the Saints Half Hour podcast going to drop and where can people go grab it? Thank you. Yeah, we, we record every Monday night, so we actually have a, a brand new live show that, uh, that was just posted. So you can find that on Twitch. You can find that on all forms of social media. We're called the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Uh, and please consider visiting our website also at saintshappyhour.com. Brother, appreciate your time. Enjoy your week, my friend. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest that helped us on this hump day edition of RP3 and Company, the Mad Dog Ron Higgins giving us insight about the nonsense involving Dale Brown Court at LSU. It, it just seems that we're being messy for messy's sake. Like, it just, what are we doing? Like, you already voted on this. You voted against it being a co-court. You voted to have Dale Brown. You put the name on the court. Now, all of a sudden, now we want to do things? Like, I just, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. It's just a waste of time. And, and furthermore, to Ron's point, he says, when you think of LSU basketball, do you think of Sue Guntner or do you think of Dale Brown? I would argue I don't think of either one of them. When I think of LSU basketball, I think Pistol Pete, Shaq, Simone Augustus. That's who I think of. I don't even think of Bob Pettit. You don't think of Ben Simmons? <laughs> oh... What a legendary career Ben Simmons had. Yeah, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't I don't think – and naming courts is kind of a silly thing anyway. I mean, Louisiana Tech's court is named after Carl Malone because he made a donation. They're known for the national championships the women won, not the no championships the men won with Carl there back in the – like, it just – it's all silliness. It's just silliness. We're also naming just – more and more thing. We're going to eventually have the RP3 free throw line inside the <laughs> D-Lo three-point arc on the 
Hannah Five Names court inside the <laughs> James Mesh Fieldhouse at Matt Meagas Arena. Oh, it'll be perfection. I want to thank Mad Dog, Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, and of course, Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Final results of the poll question of the day. What's your favorite Super Bowl food? 55% of you say wings. 23% say pizza. 19% say other. 3% say the chile. And I love this comment, a message from Salty Steve. Eat bad food, enjoy the game, and friends. That's what it's all about. Fine dining not required. It's Super Bowl. Let's go. That's what I'm talking about. Just have pizza and chips and dip. You'll be fine. <laughs> Just say it. Oh, man. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left your comments. Appreciate you making us part of your morning. What do we got lined up tomorrow? Well, we're getting closer and closer to Super Bowl 57. So we're going to be talking about that. Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports, our sports betting analyst of choice, will be joining us to tell us all about those prop bets and how to bet on the game. Les East will give us the latest updates on Saints and the Pelicans. Did Derek Carr get a deal done with the Saints? We'll recap that tomorrow as well. And then Super Bowl champion and Tulane Football Hall of Famer, one of the greatest players in Green Wave history, Moel Day Moore will be joining us to talk about his career and his Super Bowl experience, including being a Super Bowl winner. That's all on tap for tomorrow's edition of RP3 and Company. For the producer, Dawson Iserlow, I'm Raymond Parts III. Until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game. <laughs>